Like, who are they talking to? How do they even freaking know what 98% of Albertans think? I don't get it. Hello, everyone. Hello, and welcome to I Don't Get It. It's a podcast about performance in Edmonton. Uh, we are proudly part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm Fonda, and I am Paul. Fonda, we had a we had a big couple weeks. Yeah, it, there were some some big shows, <laughs> and we had some guests to join us to yes! talk about the shows. There's because so many people on the show this week, it's yeah, great. Because sometimes our schedules don't go together very well. It's uh, true, but there are people. There are people who like talking about art. All around us, yeah, and we can we can draw on them. The things we saw this episode uh, are Silver Arrow at the Citadel Theater, and Ancestors and Elders, which played at the Jubilee Auditorium as part of the Shumka season. All right, so first up, we'll have uh, my conversation with Laura Rabu on the Silver Arrow. Um, yeah, but first, an ad. <laughs> This month on the Well Endowed Podcast, you can hear from Fringe Theatre Adventures and Opera Nuova about how the Canadian Cultural Investment Fund helps them invest in Edmonton artists. And Sanjay Shahani, Executive Director of the Edmonton Arts Council, talks about how the EAC is looking 10 years ahead to shape Edmonton's arts and heritage sector. Helen Ma also tells us how a Don and Noreen Lowry Award has helped her pursue her studies at the University of Alberta. To listen, head to thewellendowedpodcast.com. Hello, everyone. I am here with our uh, regular musical reviewer, almost, <laughs> Laura Rabu. Hello, Laura. Hi. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. All right, Laura. Well, what did we see? We saw The Silver Arrow at the Citadel Theater, written by Mieko Uchi and directed by Daryl Cloran. Yeah. And so the subtitle for The Silver Arrow is The Untold Story of Robin Hood. Um, did it feel like it was really about Robin Hood? <laughs> it does feel like the untold story of Robin Hood in a way, because it wasn't really the story of Robin Hood that that much was it yeah no the yeah. untold part for sure yeah. um well this also i think i want to note uh, right off the bat that this is part of the um citadel bam center professional theater program so yeah. once a year the citadel and bam center get together and they do these sort of like big old productions um yeah so so what were some of your um impressions about um about the story of silver arrow what what, what are we seeing on stage okay so the story of silver arrow um has well there's like is there 14 characters fonda or 16 characters i think it's like 14 there's or 16 a, there's characters. a lot you keep talking and i'll start counting okay so there's a lot of characters and so what happens is that we spend the first uh part of the story just being introduced to all of these different characters uh that are inhabiting this sort of steampunk uh robin hood world so there are 16 of them. there are 16 and everybody has their own kind of story and their own interactions there are are like a band of travelers in like the Sherwood Forest. There are the henchmen of Prince John um, and they are wreaking havoc in the forest. And then there's Bina uh, who is sort of a Maid Marian character but she's not. But she's in a tower and she's trapped. That's Christy Hansen. Mm -hmm. And then there is also, she has a brother 
who's Robin Hood. Bina, well, Bina and Robert are oh, Robert. kind of like right. combined to Robin make the legend of Robin Hood. Yeah. Um, and, you know, throughout the course of the show, they sort of reveal how that legend really gets developed. Yeah. Um, but really, the story focuses on Bina. Yes, it does. But there's also another Maid Marian character. Like, there's so many characters. Yeah, that was one of the, I get tough parts of the show. Yeah. There was so much going on. There was yeah. so much packed into um, a long show. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just scene after scene of, after scene of, um, you know, exposition and and setup, and then yeah. you know, yes, there's something that happens right before the intermission. Um, but by then, you're just kind of like, do I even really care about anyone that much yet? It is, it is quite. It, it it was quite a lot of things to absorb. Yeah, like there's even a new character I don't think you've met yet that happens right before intermission, mm-hmm. and at that point, you're like, is did I forget something? Did I miss this? Like, <laughs> it's supposed to be, I think, a big mystery who this person is. But in your head, you're like, who, who did I? Oh, and then it also <laughs> yeah. kind of like doesn't even pay off by the end of the show. Yeah. Like who that guy is. Um, yeah. uh, we ran into someone at intermission who was just like, and then someone from the Marvel Universe just stepped into Sherwood Forest. I'm like, what? Yeah. So um, many belts. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, the. I'll get it right out and say that the 16 people in the show are incredibly talented. They really some are. Of, some of like the, the the Edmonton's great actors like Jesse Gervais um, and April Bannigan. Um, Patricia Sarah. Yeah, Christy Hansen. Like they're, yeah. you know, these are fantastic performers. Mm-hmm. And then we have them partnering with Firefly Theater. So there's some fantastic aerials going on. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of fighting. There's, you know, there's just a lot a lot of stuff going on. And I, I think true. that, you know, um, the sweetness of Bina's story um, and Christy Hansen, you know, is just like a really winsome character. Um, she, she has one leg. So a lot of it, a lot of the plot sort of, um, and even some of the, even some of the, um, uh, you know, like physical sight jokes and things like that are, yeah. are done because, um, because of Christie's body. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what they do is, um, you know, they really tell the story in a way that it could be almost um, any underestimated female character. Um, yeah. It was uh, obviously the show in, uh, for this actor is, is written in this way. So I wonder how they would do it in the future with a different cast, mm. um, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. It does seem to be like it was really tailor made for this one experience. And I think that there's some problems with that in a way too, because you can really see the training that they've been doing and that this is sort of a vehicle to show off their tricks uh, so that you'll have a couple lines and then you'll have the fight scene that you know that they developed in their training program. But it's not really serving the story. So as an audience member, you're kind of there's just the stakes aren't there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of physicality in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite parts had almost nothing to do with the plot itself. It was. Yeah. um uh, Stephanie Wolf and Kevin Willett, um, two of the sort of uh, more the Firefly crew, really, who yeah. are who have some a really impressive scene with a rope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and you know, and it was it was great, and it was actually funny. And there were parts of the show that I feel were supposed to be funny, but didn't weren't quite landing. Yeah, um, yeah, it was just it was just like a big sort of like hodgepodge of stuff. It felt like they had to make sure everybody had a certain amount of lines. And I don't I don't know if that really served the story. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's how I feel, too. So yeah, as an audience member. Yeah. 
So how do you how did you feel that this sort of lined up with the with the actual legend of Robin Hood? Oh yeah, so the uh, the legend of Robin Hood. I just I just looked a little bit online and just sort of looked at it because to refresh my memory as to what it was, and and I just found this interesting thing where uh, the 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 way Maid Marian has progressed over the years is quite interesting. That she was an ugly, she was kind of the ugly character that was married to the friar at first. She's kind of like a, a, a joke character in like the medieval times, and then uh, later on she became more of the romantic. Um, uh, made Marion for Robin Hood, and that didn't happen to like the Victorian age, I guess, in like the 18th century. And then, and then in the 70s, she became kind of a strong female character that, it, with even hints um, that she might be taking over the uh, sheriff's job at the end. So I just thought it was interesting how like this, like Robin Hood has always been a, a story about political upheaval or or political change, and that um, the female character. Um, you know, has has kind of reflected the change in politics throughout mm-hmm. history. And then this is, again, I think another step sort of into a more modern uh, take where uh, Robin Hood is the female character, mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, it's again, just a, I just thought it was kind of an interesting uh, progression. And yeah, a progression yeah. of the story, even though it's still like prequel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, also wanted to chat with you a little bit about the music. So Hoxley yeah. Workman composed um, the the score and the and wrote the lyrics. Um, and um, and the the sound design was done by Owen Hutchinson. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I kind of I, I wanted to get your opinion on the music because I, I, I had some thoughts and I don't know much about music. though. So. Yeah. Well, we have one female singer and uh, none of the uh, songs are written for a female voice. So what's happening is that it's too low for her. And also the orchestration is matching the pitch of her voice because a man sings an octave lower. So if you put the instruments an octave higher, you can still hear the man's voice. But when the instruments are at the same um, sound as the female voice, you lose the words. So we lost all the words to the songs just yeah, just the, because it wasn't written for a woman. Yeah, the the the, narr- the narrator character yeah. um uh, who kind of plays Bina's lady in waiting. Yeah. Um she you I real I really had a hard time actually catching any of the lyrics because it like it just you couldn't really hear it at all. Yeah. Um and then though what was interesting is that at the close of the show you hear Hoxley Workman singing it. Totally. And you're like, "Oh, that's what it's supposed to sound like." Exactly. <laughs> Hoxley Workman has written for so many other voices, so I don't know uh why that would have happened in this particular case. And the other thing is um it's doesn't the songs didn't move dramatically with the story either. Like the songs mm-hmm. were just of themselves nice songs, mm-hmm. but they weren't taking us to another level. They weren't expressing any kind of emotional change. They weren't bringing the character through any kind of catharsis. I think I would have liked to have seen more collaboration between the writer and the music writer oh the playwright and the writer yeah Yeah. and and the music yeah I mean as a musical it definitely didn't feel um like it hit all the parts of that a musical normally would yeah right um you know there there was sort of the one love song in the first half but then it just kind of like it it almost seemed like a throwaway because that relationship doesn't um end up doing anything um and and there's and there's no refrain or anything of it but so yes you got some some nice um sort of pop folk songs um but they it didn't feel like i don't i don't really remember any of them it doesn't it didn't feel like um even when they were singing as a chorus it wasn't um 
it didn't it didn't really feel like yeah this is part of the story it's yeah. just like okay we're stopping to sing now totally and i found the underscoring quite distracting as well i i don't know who was doing the underscoring but i i didn't it was looping a lot so it was it, it didn't feel to me like it was fully realized somehow Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe there was. Well, I felt that a lot of the show didn't feel that fully realized because no. there was so much happening. Yeah, I feel like you know, um, take take half of the ideas, yes. cut cut at least half an hour off the show, yeah. and maybe we'd feel that like that story is really there. Yeah, it was kind of mm-hmm. cluttered. There's just too much going on, so you you were just missing missing. I think some of the gems and magic that was kind of buried under. Mm-hmm. just too too much yeah there yeah. was there were some really uh cool little gems in the script like i found yeah. um miyako uchi's um she she had these lines where that were very very modern references to like yeah. the web you know and yeah. and uh, i'll tweet you if i'm in trouble um of course these are sort of different things that they do in the show but um yeah so it's just kind of like you know a modern audience is like ho 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 that's funny um yeah, yeah. and and then i honestly i gotta say like Jesse Gervais has got to be one of the funniest actors in Edmonton playing the sheriff of Nottingham. Mm-hmm. There was nothing funny for him to do. <laughs> like, what? what is going on? I know. He was funny when he was going to the inn as the prospector. Oh, yeah, when he wasn't playing the sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that we've sort of... Yeah, beaten that one enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, the the you know fight scenes are good. There's a lot. There were a lot of good things about it, but the uh, not not the not the good things that that you might expect, I guess. Yeah. Um. In any case. Yeah. Thanks so much, Laura, for thanks. coming on. And thanks for having me. Yeah. We'll uh and we'll we'll leave it at that. Um. Okay. Now it's time for another ad. <laughs> Alberta Podcast Network is partnering with Northwest Fest, Edmonton's documentary and media arts festival, uh, running May 3rd to 13th at Metro Cinema. On May 8th, you can catch Sick Boy, a documentary about podcaster Jeremy Saunders, who uses laughter to change the way people think about serious illnesses such as cystic fibrosis. This film will be preceded by a short film called Picture This, about what it means to be disabled and desirable. Podcast-related things will go on in the the lobby, and the APN will be part of a panel discussion on the the themes in both films. Tickets are $13, and you can get a second ticket for free when you buy one and use the code APNBOGO18 at checkout. Get yours today at northwestfest.ca. Cool. Yeah, so um, that was a Silver Arrow. It runs until May thirteenth at the Citadel Theater. So, um, Paul, what do you what do you got now? Yeah, great. So, as part of the Shumka series, the Shumka season, uh, we had ancestors and elders, and uh, and to talk about that, we have Ainsley Hilliard, who's one of the Good Women Dance Collective, one of the uh, contemporary dance companies in town. Here's our conversation. Hello, Ainsley Hilliard. Hello. Uh, so we saw we saw a show called uh, Ancestors and Elders, and uh, maybe to start off, what uh, what did what did we see? What was this show? Well, we saw nothing short of a spectacle. Mm. It was um, it was a huge, huge production, a mm. cast of thousands, <laughs> um, yeah, literally figure it of thousands. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, figure it of thousands, mm-hmm. not literally, but um, many, many, many people on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, huge. Uh, Huge production, um, two acts, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, how much detail do you want me to go into right now? Sure. I mean, it was sort of, <laughs> I, I guess one thing that stood out to me was it was structured as like uh, sort of Heritage Days, like 
uh, uh, show. Yeah, so the first was, act. Mm, the first act. One hundred percent was like a. They were trying to be very integrated in how they set it up and mm-hmm. and have it be kind of a narrative of. Um, both uh, past and present, mm-hmm. um, and how how these two uh, cultures have inter- inter- intersected, yeah. interwoven with yeah. each other, uh, both in past and present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we sort of started with with the Shumka dancers, and we saw saw their their dance, and then mm-hmm. it sort of went into like a bit of a, a narrative. Yes. In terms of we sort of like saw some of the struggles of, of, of the the immigrants, the Ukrainian immigrants to to this area and this land, and and some of the um, the kindness that was shown to them by indigenous people and mm-hmm. helping them survive a very harsh environment. Yes. And then uh, in, a, in a parallel structure, we saw um, uh, a bunch of indigenous dance uh, and then sort of saw some of the narrative of, of in this case, sort of the residential school system. Residential, and the, yes. The yes. stripping away of culture and sort of the, the preservation after that and what that looks like and, and why why it's important to, mm-hmm. to dance and keep tradition alive. Yeah. And then the second act was kind of a... Like there was the three, I think, the three parts, and they were a bit more, they were a bit less of a narrative and more um, like celebratory uh, of of these cultural dances, in my my opinion. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I got from it. Yeah, it was sort of like we, both after this sort of narrative half, we had like, uh, sort of a showcase of of, of Shumka, a talent. Sh- uh, yeah, yeah. Of talents. <laughs> a showcase of talent, and then and then together we saw yeah. we saw a, a bit together. Mm-hmm. So uh, so as a as a performer, maybe as a dancer yourself, um, what were some of the the movement qualities you could sort of see in in what Shumka did, and also in what uh, what uh, the indigenous dancers did? Yeah, um, I mean, not having training or background in either of those forms, Correct. yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, but being a fan of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought uh, specifically in the very last piece in the in the second act, um, it was really really interesting to me to see the parallels between the two, uh, especially with the um, the male performers and just the really low kind of um, like squatting uh, like um, yeah. I mean, I'm a dancer. I don't have words. Sure, the, the squatting I'm, I'm like I'm showing you right now. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I can see but, it. Um, but like you know, the really low movements mm-hmm. um, that are kind of. Uh, typical of, of a Ukrainian style of dancing, mm-hmm. um, masculine mm-hmm. style of dancing for um, that. And, and then also seeing the, um, some of the powwow dancers also had um, some really low movements as well that were kind of like bouncing in like a squatted position, like mm-hmm. really, really quad heavy mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and quite, quite athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing them do that together uh, uh, was really cool. I wanted to see more of those kind of crossovers because there were certainly, um, yeah, there were certainly a few that I picked out. Just like yeah, totally. Um, yeah. One thing that really stood out to me was just, uh, I guess the how music was used in both sort of forms of dance. Mm-hmm. Like Shumka had these big sweeps of sort of uh, orchestration, mm-hmm. uh, and that would sort of parallel these big sweeps of people coming on stage and doing something on mass, or you know sometimes soloing, but often with with a lot of backing. Um, but it seemed about showcasing these these waves of people, whereas um, with uh, with the the indigenous dancers. Uh, the beat sort of was similar, and a lot of the mm. dancers were moving to the same beat, even if their dances were different. If it was a jingle dance or a grass dance or, mm-hmm. or some of the other forms that were, were shown, um, they sort of used that bass beat to, uh, to, to move on. And the hoop dancing. Hoop dancing yes. is always like such a, such a delightful spectacle to, to see and, and take in. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. What else? Uh, what stood out about you about maybe like um, uh, what, we were, what we were seeing visually in terms of like uh, – having that many people on stage and, yeah and I like guess that. another thing that 
um, that we didn't mention is um, specifically in the first. Well, in the in the first act, they um, used a lot of projection mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, and then in the second act, they had a large kind of backdrop that was uh, done by two visual artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so the so the projections in the first act um, was definitely something that uh, added to the to the kind of. Uh, I don't know if spectacle is the right word, but sure. like just like this, like this really um, like massive undertaking, mm-hmm. this massive production. Yeah, and we would see like elements of history. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, and images like that projected it kind in of, addition. Absolutely, it was a narrator of sorts. I mm-hmm. think at times, uh, yeah. So I guess one of the, one of the things that really stood out to me was um, in that first narrative, uh, or something that I thought was really powerful, and mm-hmm. um, was uh, when they were um, kind of. Uh, when the indigenous dancers were um, at the heritage days in mm-hmm. present day, yeah, uh, and um, uh, and and doing all of their beautiful, beautiful movement, and then uh, the projection kind of started to like degrade, and the music kind of started to mm-hmm. degrade, and and they all started to kind of like break down their movements, and right. then it went into the the narrative about the residential school system and just that moment of like that like beautiful celebratory uh dancing and like joy Mm -hmm. just like being like stripped away like yeah i was in tears it was like it was really like really simple and really effective and yeah that was one moment that really really stood out to me yeah just that subtraction and i think um the dancer uh they had playing the role of joanne who was sort of the woman uh going through the who was sort of our our cipher into the Mm -hmm. into that that start part of the story is the dancer uh ayla modest modesta um i'm so sorry (laughs) uh who who uh was also in the sash runner at mile zero dance uh, a couple months back same mover and i think uh she just had really great qualities both as a mover and then to carry that sort of dramatic like we're not we're not speaking but it's we're now doing almost theater and seeing more of the theatrical side of of this storytelling she really uh did a lot to carry that i think as part of the the running thunder uh, element of of this shared uh, space, yes, which absolutely. was it was cool to see uh, a company like Shumka um, opening their space and making a lot of uh, uh, holding holding space and and inviting uh, Running Thunder and other groups in to uh, to showcase and to see um, you know Indigenous regalia and Indigenous dance celebrated on the Jubilee stage. Yeah. Is, is not something we've uh, I don't think I haven't seen before. No, definitely, and um, yeah, and I think I was really. Uh, going into it, I was really hopeful that they would, um, I think, attend to just to like the um, the cultural kind of significance and practices. And like in the opening speech, like mm-hmm. they they had a really lovely um, opening um, from both from the artistic directors of Shumka um, and uh, uh, the indigenous groups, Running Thunder, and all of that. And um, yeah, so it was just it was it was good to see that as well. Like I, I felt like it wasn't. Um, uh, it was very thoughtful, right? Like I, I, I felt, I feel like they were trying to do it in a very thoughtful way. And um, I mean, in terms of the team that I was looking through the program, I was like, yeah, these are these are the people to be doing this. Yeah, you, totally. You really, you did your research and you mm-hmm. you got the yeah, right. And you made space for that creativity, Absolutely. not to just be like, here you go, here's, yeah. here's your ten minutes, and now we're gonna do our yeah. thing. It was shared, which is nice. The this the beginning, the first act especially, I think, was very much collaborative. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, or how that's how it was described in the program, mm-hmm. um, and that was I think great. That's like those are the exciting things. Yeah, you know the things that we haven't seen before that we're hungry for. Yeah, totally. And then it ended with a round dance going going yes. into the audience, yes. which was uh, 
which was cool and is a cool way of inviting the audience in on that that collaboration and sort of the spirit of that that togetherness absolutely yeah absolutely cool uh anything you you want to add overall impressions about about something like this yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was just a big, it was a big, big thing. Yeah. It was big. It was very, yeah, like not overwhelming. It was very well done. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, the Jubilee and like those boys can jump. Yeah. Those Shumka boys can jump. Oh, can they ever? <laughs> can they, they ever? They can jump. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was just, it's really nice to see Indigenous dance featured on a stage that large and given that much time and space. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when I, when I am able to view it or when it's, you know, viewed in, um, I, I feel like it's at like a festival or a mm-hmm. kind of a um, a cultural event, and so it's just a little snippet. Um, and it was nice to be able to spend uh, more time in it because mm-hmm. um, I I really do like the like the beat you were talking about before, and um, it's really quite moving and and quite visceral. Mm-hmm. I find yeah. Uh, so it was nice to have that amount of time to spend um, like immersed in it. Yeah, and it really got to showcase a lot of the different sort of styles within that and, mm-hmm. and forms within that. Um, like looking at the program in, in Running Thunder, there's the fancy dance, there's the chicken dance, there's the traditional dance, there's the, the dress dance, there's the hoop dance, there's yeah. the jingle dance. And getting moments to actually see all of that and be like, be able to parse some of the differences and yeah. some of the similarities and, and, and what that, that uh, feels like uh, in its different ways was, was, yeah, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And educational as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Great. Well, thanks, Ainsley. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. Well. That was a big week. Big two weeks. Big couple weeks. So, Fonda, what's on the horizons for us and for arts in Edmonton? Uh, Well, still running at Shadow Theater at the Varscona is Fly Me to the Moon. That's going until May 13th, so you have a week to catch that still. Right, and uh, on May 7th at the Arts Barns, free by donation, we have Gravity, a cabaret of art and politics. This is a a semi-regular event that happens that looks to talk about the political topics of the day uh, through the lens of artists and art. Um, Old Stock, a refugee love story, is playing at the Citadel Club from May 9th to 13th. That's another Hannah Moscovich play. Cool. Terry and the Dog by Colin Doyle is getting its world premiere uh, presented by Edmonton Actors Theatre from May 9th to 19th at the Arts Barns Studio Theatre. Stars Robert Benz, Cole Humany, and Marilyn Ryan, and it's directed by Dave Horak. Um, Alberta Ballet's highly anticipated All of Us, I, a.k.a. the Tragically Hip Ballet, um, is playing May 10th to 12th, and we will be doing the pre-show talk on May 10th. Boom. At the Jubilee Auditorium. <laughs> the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra is presenting The Great Russian Ballet at the Windspear on May 17th in, uh, in a co-production with the Edmonton School of Ballet. All right. And yeah, I think that's that's pretty much what's coming up for the next week or so here. That's, so we're going to leave it at that. Yeah, that's a lot of things. It well, is. Uh, lots of things are happening. Uh, go check out all of them. Uh, go see something. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinov. Sit here, baby.